Welcome to the Ross and Public podcast. I'm Adrian, partner at Ross and Public, responsible for digital banking. In this episode, I'm gonna dive deeper into the topic of modern pension planning. And for that, I'm joined by Till Klein, the founder and CEO of Berlin-based fintech Vantic. Previously, Till was partner and managing director at global consultancy BCG, as well as head of sales, head of head sales development for private and business clients at UBS. So, Till, great to have you on the podcast today. Um, you call yourself the anti-banker on your LinkedIn profile, from what I've seen in my preparation. So, my first question to you would be, what characterizes an anti-banker? <laughs> Hi, Adrian. Thanks for having me. Um, what I mean with, with the anti-banker or what I want to get across with it is kind of um, a different mindset. Um, so, for me, uh, a, a traditional banker is somebody who is convinced that banking is very, very complex and that uh, the job of a banker is to explain these complex products to the world who is not that financially literate. And I'm convinced that it needs to be the other way around. So I'm convinced that we need to create products that don't need an explanation. We need to have people who create products that don't need a manual. And that's what Mm -hmm. I want to get across with this. Interesting. provocative term. Oh, awesome! Yeah, that leads that leads also to um, to your new venture that you founded, Vantic. Um, maybe a few words from my side about it. Um, Vantic strives to radically simplify retirement planning, and obviously, this is also the topic of this uh, podcast: modern pension planning, how you can solve these um, type of uh, you know retirement planning um, issues that are currently happening in society. And Vantic, as a fintech company, offers Europe's first mobile pension plan, including the Vantic Card, which allows users to integrate retirement planning into their everyday life. Um, which means you offer a free debit MasterCard uh, that can be used to make payments worldwide online. And with every payment, 1% cashback is then automatically invested into the Vantic Retirement Fund. Vantic is, uh, uh, has great investors on board, Atlantic Labs, STS Ventures, Seedcamp, as well as the co-founder of Number 26 invested, Maximilian Teintal. Till is this description of Vantic overall correct? How would you describe your proposition in your own words? Perfectly described. So you don't need me. You can do the podcast on your own. <laughs> no, perfectly described. Um, maybe kind of it's it's really is our our mission behind it is um, is your financial independence. So yeah. um, we want to make help you to make a living living throughout your life without being dependent on others. So it's not about getting rich. It's more about being able to afford your life. And um, so with one tick card, we want to help people to have an easy start, to make the start into the pension a no-brainer and Mm -hmm. integrate it into every day's life. And as you said, it's a free MasterCard with 1% cashback um, that goes straight to your pension product. Our vision long-term is that the Vantic platform, the Vantic app becomes the home for all your retirement Mm-hmm. savings and kind of thus the the, the cockpit um, on your way to financial independence. Okay, very interesting. Um, we will also dive deeper actually into into the evolution of Vantic. Um, you're now launching the Vantic card and so on, so that um, we will address as well. Um, before that, I was thinking, I mean, obviously you've been working at, um, at BCG before, um, so as a short warm-up question, um, I was I was obviously thinking about it because you're you're a consultant turned fintech entrepreneur and I've I've done it now the, the other way around, but I would ask you how how like if you compare now your daily routine to the imagination and expectation you had of diving into fintech entrepreneurship, is it fully aligned or have there been any surprises? And first of all, there's many things that are different. They're not yeah. better or worse. They're just different. So I use Google instead of Microsoft. I use Slack more than email. Um, I can wear sneakers and no more tie, which is great. Um, <laughs> on the other hand, when I fly um, for the company, I fly on 32B rather than on seat 1A. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of different. It's completely yeah. okay. But in terms of surprises, um When I left BCG, I wasn't sure that I also leave a great network behind because that's the strength of a consulting company is that you have people all around the world with huge knowledge and you can um, get into the knowledge very, very easily. And um, 
that was kind of my fear that I don't have this network anymore. And I have to admit that, and that was kind of a surprise, you open up a completely new network. And kind of of founders and being at Berlin, but also globally, they're so open to help because they know that this is important and this is also a mutual obligation that you can almost approach anybody and you get immediate help. So um, that was something I haven't seen Mm -hmm. when I left BCG. On the other hand, a second topic is... Uh, it's talent. So when I, when you work for a large consulting company, you're kind of spoiled that there's many, many very smart, great people, and they're just there, and um, because a lot of people work hard on recruiting, and when you have to do your recruiting your own, you figure out this is a very hard job and this is a tough, tough challenge and uh, requires a lot of resources. So that was kind of for me like, wow, um, I completely underestimated um, the importance and how critical um, the, yeah, the, the, the people side and the recruiting side here mm-hmm. is. So it's a big change. I've never regretted it. So it's, I'm completely fine with that decision. And uh, I'm still happy to um, have done that, that step from, from consulting to entrepreneurship. Yeah, amazing. I think there are a lot of people anyways that are thinking about launching own products. Um, I mean, there are many ideas um, how to solve big problems in finance. So I think that's uh, great to hear that uh, you didn't regret your choice to to actually try it out. And, um, and I also fully agree that obviously finding good talent and um, yeah, this whole HR piece of entrepreneurship is, is also a really uh, challenge on its own. If we dive into this uh, episode's topic, which is modern pension planning, and also looking at it from a big picture, um, I think in a, in a earlier conversation that we had, you mentioned that when planning what kind of product to launch, you looked at it in a kind of um, more analytical way. So what's a massive problem, a, a huge problem that gives a huge pain point to the users, and also what's a massive market? Um, and obviously retirement and, and, and wealth building and um, pension planning is a huge market, which kind of is, is a pain point that every single person has. So obviously from a market perspective, it's a very big, big one. Can you elaborate a bit more on your, on your um, considerations to found Vantic? How did you decide that you really want to address this really big problem? Yeah. Honestly, as you already mentioned, um, kind of, I, it was kind of analytic to say, okay, where's there a large, big, interesting market that is growing? Mm-hmm. And that definitely is pension. Only yep. even the, the um, private pension accounts for two trillion assets under management in the European Union. So it's it's massive. On the other hand, the customer experience is really really broken. Yeah, yep. and it it I would say it's one of the worst customer experiences um, you could have in financial services, which is already very bad in general. <laughs> so it's yep. within an area where it's it's very uh, not a very good customer experience. It's even at the at the lower end, yep. and kind of if you take these two factors, then it's kind of it's it's sounds very very attractive to get mm-hmm. into a market which is large and growing, and on the other hand, you can. Uh, improve a lot and solve a lot of problems. On the other hand, it's a tricky market. It's either you you make it and then it's going to be big, yep. or you fail. But yep. um, it is it is not easy to 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 really uh, break through the market. Um, yep. But that's exactly the challenge I was looking for, and that's why I choose. Okay, this is the right market. Great, absolutely. I also checked some statistics actually actually in uh, preparation for this episode, and um, I mean it, it. It is not only a big pain point because there's a bad user experience and so on, but it's also kind of a societal angle to it as well. Obviously, um, there are around over or basically over 10 million employed persons in Germany, for example, that could not cope with unexpected expenses over a thousand euros, which was data from 2019. Plus, there are some statistics that show correlations between people that have to go to that counseling and also get illness uh, from that so you know and become sick so obviously money problems are also kind of really big psychological problems and so on so so this is also now kind of accelerated by COVID-19 where people fear the yeah. private pension provisions will lose value due to falling prices and so on so so there's a big concern among households especially lower income households, obviously. So this is a, a whole topic on its own, probably, because as you mentioned, you, you've been working at UBS, 
private banking is something that hasn't been historically available for everyone. So, um, so I think that there need to be new solutions to be launched. Um, also, what I found very interesting actually was that it is a global problem. It's not only a German problem. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of a worldwide problem, um, kind of demographic change, um, low interest rates. Um, and uh, so as the, the statutory pension system struggle, so yeah. that private pension become uh, more and more important. Yeah. And on the other hand, uh, most people are not bankers. So you need to have products that are mass suitable. And mm -hmm. um, that's, that's a big, uh, big challenge. As you said, it's, honestly, it's not only the lower end of the income range. It's honestly, it's the middle. Imagine mm -hmm. kind of... Um, if you cannot, and that's what I meant with financial independence, if you had your living throughout your life, and then when you're old, you need to start to think about, can I afford to go to a restaurant? Can I, um, do I need to, dis can I still afford my Netflix uh, yeah. subscription or whatever? Yeah, it's kind of mm -hmm. it's these small things. And uh, imagine what that would impact your life if you, if you, you don't have this independence and that freedom. And But here, that makes a difference. So the statutory pension covers roughly 50% of your income. And you will not die. You will not starve. But to make a living and the live, the life, to live the life you want to live, uh, there you need to do more. And that's exactly mm -hmm. where we jump in. Help yeah, you. absolutely, absolutely. I found it very eye-opening as well from the um, World Economic Forum, who who published a paper that by 2050. So obviously, it's a long time range still. But when the first millennials um, begin to hit the retirement age, there will be a pension savings gap of over 400 trillion dollars. Um, so it's obviously a massive problem. It should somehow actually create a pull from the market to get new solutions because the WEF said that it's it's basically the current rates of saving um, are basically um, one one big um, pain point that should be solved and um, especially the access to, to pension products itself is something that um, should be improved and as you said it's a very kind of not like an industry that hasn't been disrupted before like you have the big players and you have the pension systems um, but um, they have been there and, and, and they're not fintechs that are really actually addressing this problem in new ways and uh, with the new possibilities, possibilities that you have. Um, so let's jump into that maybe um, because I, in preparation, actually looked at your product and maybe we want to start at the customer level. Do you address a specific vertical? Because we just mentioned it's actually something that uh, addresses a huge group of customers. Um, and in fintech, there's always the question, do you go mass market right away or do you stay very focused on a specific um, niche like Revolut with international travelers or I think even Scalable Capital in Germany had when they launched um, webinars and, and workshops with engineers and consultants who who were their first entry entry to market. Um, is that, is that how, how do you want to um, address the market at the beginning now? Actually, you have to focus at the beginning. Yeah, that's kind of because the key to, to create a great product is to understand your customer and mm -hmm. to tailor your product and your message and to really solve a specific problem of a group. Yep. Um, so I would say it's not an alternative. It's kind of that your first early adopters need to be very focused. For us, it's pretty clear. It's kind of, I would call it them the credit card optimizers. That's people mm -hmm. who are looking for a great credit card that gives them um, added value. Okay. So they have multiple credit cards. They um, and they just looking for something that gives the best value in the market. Yeah. Um, and those people, that are the people um, that have early subscribed to Vantic, also to the waiting list, um, and they um, really like the model and like the idea. So that's our early adopter group. So the next step then, and that's when we get to a, to a larger market, um, kind of you would call it probably the early majority or whatever, that's more people who look for an easy start and um, they don't want to become a financial expert. Um, they don't want to invest a lot of time into uh, financial matters. And honestly, it's a bit of kind of the complementary target group to, to Trade Republic. So... We are targeting in the future kind of the 83% of the population that need a pension but don't want to make trading or investment their hobby. They yeah. just want to have a convenience product. 
Yeah, fully understand. And um, I mean, the big banks, obviously, they have um, large budgets. Um, they look at customer segmentation models and, and you know, have very sophisticated um, frameworks to look at um, how to serve customers in the most efficient way. One of the big advantages of fintech companies is that you really look from first principles, from scratch. How What's the fundamental problem the customer has and how can we solve that? really in a fundamental uh, improved way um, how do you stay close to the customer is that something that you're incorporate in your routines in the company that your product managers are doing you know surveys and you know focus groups or how, how do you do that talk to customers it's talking 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 and also open discussions yeah so yeah. that you really get new ideas and have different people talking to customers because when i talk to a customer I have a concept, a hypothesis in my mind um, that kind of doesn't make me neutral. So, and it's very, very important that you have very different people listen and uh, also then you have a discussion about what it could mean and what uh, was brought up. And um, yeah, that's kind of focusing on customer centricity and understanding the customer is, is is really key. And I think you mentioned the 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 incumbent banks. That's I think it's quite an interesting phenomenon because they are out there since five years now, and their core service is not very different from uh, the, for the the neo banks are out there for for five years, and their core service is not very different. So they do they offer a current account, they offer payment. So it's 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 very simple, it's very basic, but um, still they offer a very different experience. And even after five years, the large banks have not been able to copy it. Yeah, I don't know to not to invent, but not even able to copy it. Although they have huge resources and they have very smart people and they have lots of capabilities. And um, that brings me to the point that kind of the core of customer centricity is a mindset and a mindset on an organizational level. So it's not even su sufficient to put a very smart fintech person into a large bank. They cannot make a difference. And um, this is a big, big challenge for those institutions to, to make that move. And maybe they are not even able to do that. Maybe it's the only way to do it is to, to adjust and copy fast. Uh, I mean, uh, just to dive a little bit deeper, um, because things like NPS and like this typical... Um, customer satisfaction measurements are not always very useful for people that start new fintech or basically for new fintech companies that really want to understand do we now really have a market fit or are we on the right track um so so is it still just what you mentioned right now that you just talk to customers to validate your hypothesis step by step or do you have other tools or metrics that are very important to you at this early stage i think that's that's always very interesting to hear because it's so difficult actually to measure if you're on track it's if it's so early honestly it's probably both because both things won't tell you the whole picture and those kpis are good they are an indicator, but at the end, you need to talk to people and you need to understand. And it's kind of even customer quotes that, that really help you um, to really understand. Maybe if they're not statistically relevant, but yeah. they're much more insightful um, to, to understand your customer and to see, mm -hmm. did I really match their need or even slightly not? Yeah, yeah. so it's kind of on paper, a lot can happen, but um, it is really on point. And is it really the pain point or do you give them additional gains? Yeah. And that's something you only find out if you talk from people to people. That's the only yeah. way how it works. Yeah, great. Um, also related to that, how to reach your customers. Um, I think that is a very, especially in the UK, it's very interesting um, yeah, challenge actually um, that any D2C fintech has, how to reach customers effectively in a world where the, the costs for acquiring and serving or basically acquiring a customers in the first place is actually very expensive. There are quite a lot of challenges that you have in launching a new fintech product, ranging from missing brand awareness, huge competition partly, 
as well as laziness. I think that's always uh, a point that is underestimated, which is laziness and maybe existing habits and routines of your current customers. And you want to change that, like someone who's using maybe a credit card, which, which gives them cashback already. Um, but how to make them switch to reusing the Vantic card where they then invest the cashback into their pension. Um, so I think there are quite a lot of also psychological kind of challenges to be solved when it comes to customer acquisition. Um, what, what are your experiences with that? Um, and maybe just to zoom out or go one step back. Before you launched the Vantic card, you had the Vantic fund, I think, as a product, right? And then you decided to launch a card product on top. Maybe um, I'm, I'm sure this might be related, so um, would be very interested to hear, hear your opinion or your experience. Absolutely, it's absolutely related. And that's exactly the point. As you said, the customer acquisition cost is a big challenge, particularly when you address the mass market. And what we found out when we launched the Vantic Fund, and which was a super easy, simple and secure product to invest your pension in, we found out that um, customers love the product and uh, it's exactly the product they need. But customers struggle to get to the product. So the way to, to, to really decide for the product and, to, and to really to start. So what we found out is that um, we need to solve the hurdle to, to get into a pension product. And the same applies for Vantic as for any other pension product. And um, so that's what we did is we tried a lot of things that, that solve the, the first mile um, kind of to, to, to start a pension. And that's how we came across the card. So we, yep. we tried many, many things. And one of them was the card, which just yielded an outstanding results compared to other stuff. And yep. um, so what the card does, it makes the first step really a no-brainer. You can test something without commitment. Yeah, you can... Um, it is kind of you get into a pension uh, in, a, in a very, very easy and simple way and you build on established habits. So it's nothing new. You know how a card works. And that also brings us to, to kind of where I said kind of what are the distribution channels. It's kind of then you show it to friends and you talk about that. Yeah. And kind of the, the card really allowed us to reduce the customer acquisition cost by more than yep. 70%. Well, so the card was the solution to exactly the question what you said. Yeah. Yeah, I can obviously imagine it's it's a huge step from basically doing recurring investments or one-time investments into a fund to save for your pension versus um, having this card in your wallet or Apple you know, Apple wallet um, and paying for it. And at the same time, seeing month by month how your cashback contributes to um, your pension, how that money grows even by itself, by by getting the returns um, that you generate through the fund. So I think that's that's obviously, um, yeah, a very interesting trick. Um, I think a lot of fintechs have been trying to get started with cards, um, like for example, in the UK as well. Obviously, a lot of the products have been started with cards. So I think it will be very interesting to see as well how that works on the German market where, I'm not sure what the market shares of this old school EC cards, but um, I think people are still like very, yeah, it will be very interesting to see how, um, but I actually signed up for your rating list and I was, I think, number um, 37,000 or something. So then I think a lot of people want to have that card that invests the cash back into, um, yeah, into your fund. So um, yeah, very interesting idea. I think um, a great way to, to solve the customer acquisition problem. Um, another um, interesting thought from my side that I, or basically observation that I had was um, a big trend that's happening right now is embedding these type of products into other environments. So let's say um, an HR tool that provides um, an, an integrated savings account where an employer can say, hey, um, I pay you um, whatever, 95% uh, of your salary and 5% goes directly into our fund. Um, so, so these type of API-enabled embedded banking business models are, are very discussed at the moment in the fintech scene. It's still to be seen if that will be successful, but what, what, is that something you have been looking at as well? Um, or did you decide right away we go direct to consumer? Honestly, I think it's a, it's a very, very big trend that kind of you will see embedded financial products because the nature of a financial product is you don't want to have a financial product yeah. itself. You don't want to have a transaction or a loan or an investment. It's always a purpose behind. You want to have a loan because you want to have a car or TV. Yeah? And you, want, you need a transaction because you want to pay for something, for your meal. 
and it's actually the meal you want yeah. and not the payment. So yeah. um, from a financial pr uh, product, it is perfect. It's already integrated. And um, that will be a very, very big trend that you will see more and more integrated products. And honestly, the best financial services are the ones you don't see. Yeah, true. I mean, in a way, you are embedding pension planning already into a more customer-facing product. I mean, potentially, like previously, if I would have thought about pension contributions and I want to, you know, if I go to Allianz and open up my uh, pension account, um, that's already a completely different customer journey than having your Vantic card in my pocket and paying for it. So I think in a way, you're already embedding it closer to the point of interaction and, we're, you know, and, and higher, basically a high-frequency product. Yeah. Um, so You lower the hurdle. Exactly, yeah. And you make it kind of, not this, I have to put aside money and that kind of stuff. You lower the hurdle. It's super easy. It's integrated into your daily life and uh, you do it on the go. And that's a completely different approach to it. And you see your money growing. So there's a positive sense. So there's a positive reward incentive. And honestly, we have customers who are very pro proud that I have saved some money. I spoke to one of our um, early customers And he said, I'm so proud. I, I did my calculation that I can put aside 100 euro per week, uh, per month. And, uh, but I never managed to do it. So whenever the month of gun, the money was gone. And now with Mantic, it was the first time for the last 12 months I put aside 100 euro per month. I'm really proud of myself. And thank you for helping me. And this is a completely different approach um, to, to a pension when you see the positive effect because you do something good and you do something good for you. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I think that that's already, already brings us to the next uh, topic, which is the brand. Um, because as you mentioned, you actually develop a quite close relationship to your customers with Vantic. And if you look at the way it's designed on your landing page right now, it really reminds of um, consumer brands in Banking hasn't really been a consumer brand before. They were quite rational, cold, um, you know, big institutions, uh, actually very difficult to talk to. Um, you could, of course, go into branches, but if you ever like called your bank and had an issue, it's like, um, yeah, it's like a big thing. You need to call your bank, for example. So it's, um, and, and what we see as a trend is obviously like the likes of Revolut, Klarna, and so on that have actually very, colorful and and yeah like vivid um uh, consumer brands and i'm i'm assuming this um was also a consideration that you had um to build actually something that that can that is where people are proud to have a vantic card in a wallet for example sure absolutely it's kind of um one of our core usps is that we are not a bank and in general, if you take banking products, they are commodities. An account is an account, a transaction is a transaction. And there are only two differentiators. One differentiator is um, you have much lower costs because of scale or better technology, or you have a better, better branding. And um, that's exactly the key point of, of differentiation. So um, our customers, uh, They tell us they don't feel like being a number, just a number. And they see there's people behind. And this kind of the fact that we do banking from people for people is a very, very important differentiator for us. Yeah, I fully agree. I think that is, that is very clearly... Um... See, like recognizable on your um, on your landing pages and on, on how you portray the, the whole um, product that you bring to the market. I want to dive deep a little bit into the product itself um, because I think that is very interesting. Um, from the outside, it might look like you're like just launching a, <laughs> a card and that gives cashback, which is then um, invested in a fund. But obviously, if you look at the whole le level underneath it, there's a quite It's a, it's a quite complex product to, to build and launch to the markets. And there are quite a lot of questions that you need to answer along the way. So I think that that, that might have quite a, um, very interesting um, learnings also for other entrepreneurs in the fintech field um, that are just starting out. So just to reiterate, your Devantic card that you have launched gives 1% cash back on every purchase. And that sum earned is then automatically deposited monthly into um, the retirement savings account. And that attached to that is the Vantic ETF savings plan that can be managed via smartphone 
So there's this app component and the card component. And if desired, users can also pay in um, like one lump sums into the into the retirement account if they um, want to wanna save faster, for example. And then when they retire, they receive the invested money as a payout. So my first question would be regarding the card product that you launched. Um, like in my previous discussions with other fintech founders, the first question is, do we need our own infrastructure, like our own account? Do we want to draw customers in or do we just skip that and connect our products to existing accounts that our customers might have and we just build a layer on top? What's your what's your view and strategy, whatever you want to share on that one? Do you want to bring customers closer to Vantic with own like own accounts or do you want to leave them with what they have and you just use you know open banking, for example, to to get um, to the to the account? This is a good example of where you can learn from customers. So our initial idea was we also offer an account and the feedback from customers was, I don't want to have another account. If this card would be on top of my existing account, that's great. And if I can see the transaction in my account, fantastic. Um, I really love it, but I don't want to have just another account. So that's why we decided to go for this decoupled cards, which kind of is a very new development um, where you don't need to have an account anymore, where you have the card itself and you just connect it to any other account. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's um, also from a user perspective makes a lot of sense that you don't, I mean, who wants to have at one point like 10 different accounts for all of these different niche services. So I think that's maybe you, you will end up with like a few accounts of different banks consisting of incumbents and neobanks and then all the other niche players just plug into that existing infrastructure. So I've, I think that is also a trend that's happening right now. And then talking about your fund. How much um, like flexibility did you have? Did you construct that whole fund yourself? Um, I mean, that is a topic on its own, I guess, because with this whole ESG, ESG trend, um, you know, how, how to, you know, what's the difference now between your fund versus, let's say, the big robot advisories out there, which also have pension or try to kind of sell that as a pension product? Um, how how did you how did you did you go about that? Like, what were the learnings there, and maybe some challenges? Um, yeah, indeed, it's a topic for for itself. Um, kind of the idea behind the fund is to create a fund, an alternative um, that is uh, suitable for the mass market. Yeah. Yep. So um, really kind of those people who may be in the past have just used a savings account or um targets get in Germany yeah. um, and now they need to look for an investment product because there's no more interest on uh, on other products same applies for um, life insurances and um, that's exactly how we built the fund it's kind of what is um, an allocation that brings you a reasonable return at lowest risk and that's how you end up um, with the distribution which is 60% stocks 25% bonds, 20% um, insurance, and 5% uh, in, in uh, commodities. So it's a well-distributed um, fund. And I would say to make it uh, ESG-conform uh, or, or sustainable, that's a prerequisite at that uh, today. And um, so honestly, and that there has we've seen a lot of changes in the last couple of years so the performance is at least the same not even better and costs have come down so the the cost delta is is very small so yeah. there's no reason not to go for a sustainable investment true yeah also looking at the avantic fund i uh uncovered a few of the um like numbers from like performance numbers and so on so i think in 2019 um it was like 20 percent return on 2020 2.8 percent so um i think that is even quite aligned to what happened also with other like uh, etf portfolios and advisories uh, so, sorry robot advisories um um during the corona crisis um obviously way too early to make any performance um assessments or something like that but um i see it more as really a general purpose ETF fund for that is really like a, a general um, fund for basically anyone that wants to start retirement savings with not no like fancy products that 
are included in there, right? That's so. exactly that's exactly the idea. And yeah. uh, just nicely to mention that kind of we out we have a very very passive approach. We don't change the approach uh, because I'm not convinced that um, active management is um, adding any value. And we have even outperformed many of the robo advisors, even that was not on intention. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Um, do you purposefully actually hide this whole, like the fund and, and how much you invest in stocks and so on from clients so that they don't need to care about it? Or is it something that you want to push more forward as a USP of one take fund that, you know, um, that is passively managed and that? Honestly, it's a little bit like um, I compare it to a car. Yeah. When most people buy, there's few people who buy a car because of the engine. Yeah. Most people buy a car because of the brand, because of the usability, many, many, many other reasons. Of course, it's a prerequisite that you have a very good and reliable and efficient engine. Um, and that's how we look at it. The fund is, is the engine, and there would be no Vantic product without the engine, but it's kind of under the hood. And from a customer perspective, when you decide for a pension product, some other dimensions are more important uh, than the pension or the other way, put it the other way around, uh, state of the art, efficient, good engine is just a hygiene factor. True. But not yeah. the differentiator anymore. Yeah, I fully agree. Also, if you look at um, how you constructed your value proposition now, obviously um, the fund is the engine and the card that you have plus the app and the, the whole user experience around it actually provides you with quite interesting insights into the, your customers' lives because you get uh, you know, the payment, um, payment flows, you can analyze that data, which is something that you know, usually asset managers don't have. Is that something that you want to build out also in the future as like a competitive advantage that you can really use this, um, the data source that you have for actually improving the product or making other recommendations, uh, tailoring the service more? Is, um, I see that actually as a sure. really big uh, advantage. Sure. It's kind of deep compared to traditional asset managers or pension providers where their product is a set it and forget it product. So they don't know their customers because they have set up the, the product 10 years ago and probably they only have outdated information on their customer and they have very, very low interaction level. And that is completely different. So we know our customers and we have very frequent interaction and from a provider perspective, that's a complete game changer. Yeah, fully agree. I mean, the, um, the combination that you have the access to the users through the app, through the card, plus um, that high frequency product, because you basically, obviously in the best case, you pay for, for everything with the Vantic card to, to uh, increase your savings rate. Um, that's, that's an asset in itself. So I, I see that as well, like um, as a trend where like fintech companies are more and more focused on the customer front-end facing parts and the user experience um, and obviously um, looking at your at your like whole infrastructure level um, there's a wide as i said it's quite complex so for example you have for the fund um, the Vantic fund you have axion as for the fund management you have donna Reuschel for the custodian bank faros for um, investment advisory plus custody account at bnp paribas and so on so how, how was that as a project to launch that fund, was that um, when you started out and um, what, what were the like biggest challenges? Because I know myself from like working at Hovi and having that kind of partner infrastructure below the hood, it takes quite a while to get it right. And also finding the right partners is there's a huge choice at the moment as well. Uh, how did you decide which partners to go as an early stage company? Is that something that some learnings that you can maybe iterate on? Um. Yeah, from which partners kind of, um, when we started the Vantic Fund, uh, there was not that many partners out there. Uh, and um, so uh, I, I completely agree. It's a, it's a big thing to find um, the right partner. And I can only recommend to, to, to really do that carefully and think about that. Um, and um, at the end, it's kind of as a fintech, um, you only want to build the stuff in-house where you have a competitive advantage. And that's typically uh, the customer experience. For us, it's also building the platform. There's some services where you don't have a competitive advantage. You just need to have a partner that can tailor it for you. That was exactly with the Vantic Fund. So um, with Axion, we found an uh, 
fund manager who really helped us to to create the fund we wanted and at the end it's kind of the stuff that where you don't have scale that doesn't make sense to do that in-house so that's why the issuing of the card the custody that's all outsourced and where you need to find appropriate partners um and um, so you yourself focus on those steps of the value chain where you can create mm -hmm. most value. Yeah, I found it also very interesting that you that you teamed up with Ion Bank and uh, behind that Vodeno as like the banking as a service partner. Um, I, I came up uh, or basically I um, saw Ion Bank a few months ago when we researched um, innovative SME banks across Europe. And as far as I know, they're based in Belgium um, and have as a bank themselves a direct consumer arm, which is quite innovative what they offer um, built on the Vodeno bus stack. Um, uh, so yeah, I think it's, it's actually quite, uh, I'm not sure if you're one of the first ones that are actually using Vodeno as a, as a partner in Germany, at least as a fintech company. But, um, I found it very interesting that you, that you used one of these really new providers, um, of banking as a service that are now popping up across Europe, um, especially Vodeno. There's kind of some services. Um, I think the market for banking as a service is huge and compared to that, there's only very few providers. And with going forward, you know, we took some risk in terms of um, to take a new provider, which definitely has not yet onboarded a third party. So we are definitely the first um, at all, apart from their internal. And that also causes some challenges. So um, not all that glitters is gold. And uh, there's some longer way to go. Um, and uh, that's what I meant before. It's kind of you need to be really aware of um, who you choose as a partner and who can provide you with the service. And one of those challenges, and that was at that time some reason to go for Vodena, was kind of um, to offer it on a European level because we want definitely offer the service on a European level, but banking is very, very local. And there is very, very, when you want to do that on a European level, there's very, very few providers that really can provide you with a service across the European Union. And even though there's a lot of stuff we, we are forced, regarding to your previous question, we, are, we will be forced to build in-house because there's no provider out there to, to bridge between two different countries. And even if you work on the um, on the uh, investment account side, we work with BNP Paribas, which is uh, one of the biggest banks in Europe. But actually, technically, these are local banks, and uh, so BNP Paribas has nothing to do in Germany uh, than and in Belgium and in Italy. They're very very different, and this is not one provider. And that's from a technical setup. It's a very challenging. Um, It's very challenging for us um, mm -hmm. when you want to address really a, a European market. Yeah, I think that has been always the, the key issue with banking as a service. Um, fintechs that have started off with, out with banking as a service partners, as soon as you want to go international, you realize uh, actually that's, that will be a big uh, issue or headache um, to actually find the right partners. Or if you have already been locked in into a specific banking as a service provider, then after that launching a, a, like a new partner setup again, that can be very costly and time consuming as well. So I fully agree that this is, um, it's actually a good thing that there are more and more banking as a service providers now popping up. So in Germany, it's not only Solaris Bank or, uh, you know, Rails Bank and so on. There are more and more providers actually. So I think it's really interesting to see that um, you, you have more choice as a fintech company that if you only focus on the customer facing activities that there are now um, more providers to choose from ac across Europe. Um, and long term, do you see that as a strategy to keep that you really focus on customer facing activities, maybe the data around that, optimizing the service for the customer and keeping everything else as what you mentioned, like non-differentiating outside of your company and, uh, you know, partner with companies that do that for you? Or long term, would you appreciate to have more in-house? The, the general rule probably also long time stays the same. It's kind of really focus on where we can make a difference and where we have a competitive advantage. Yep. And, but there's a second pillar where stuff is what we need to build because it's not available in the market. So yep. I would love to source that from a first third party, but uh, it's not available. So I have to build it my own. Um, but uh, as soon as that would be 
why not partner? So they can do it better, cheaper, and uh, let's really focus on where we have uh, a yeah. competitive advantage. Yeah, and a competitive advantage would you describe as having that customer relationship and um, you know the touch points that gives you the data insights um, plus the brand plus yeah how would you describe it's it? kind yeah. of it's a customer relationship with a deep customer insight yeah and uh, then tailor the product to the customer needs and as I said the the brand is a very important part of the customer experience. Mm -hmm. Yep, really agree. kind of hold the customer experience in, in your hand and create a customer experience that uh, really is superior. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's, uh, it's actually um, um, very fitting to um, uh, the conversation I had with um, in a previous po podcast that's already out there um, with the chief uh, marketing officer of Temenos, who, who also has this um, theory of aggregators in the market. Um, which are the customer-facing brands that really aggregate the demand. So you, you're like the customer-facing um, brand. Um, you provide the best-in-class customer experience and um, you outsource everything else to kind of platforms and providers that aggregate the supply for these kind of products. So um, I feel like that's, um, that's, that's a trend that's also happening right now that um, some fintechs really focus on the customer-facing part and, and um, outsource all the rest. Also regarding this whole partnership setup, also one of the last questions, um, which I found very interesting as well, is um, revenue streams and business models behind um, these new type of products. And in your TNCs, you mentioned you receive commissions, fees, and other payments um, from your investment, like from investment companies and other third parties. Obviously, obviously, with this whole partner setup, everyone that adds costs and that adds some, you know, there needs to be some, some, um, you know, revenue sharing mechanisms uh, in place. It's, it's, um, yeah, obviously, if you start in a niche, your revenue sources are quite thin, which is why mo many fintech companies are, after a while, basically branching out and adding new layers on top, new products, new product lines that then add more revenue sources. Do you want to stay focused on your current model or is, is it something that you plan to diversify as well? Uh, it's definitely on the focus side. Um, and the reasoning here is that the pension market is just big enough. Uh, so if I would offer, so the, the, the revenue potential of a current account is rather limited. So um, if my core product is a current account, I need to diversify to uh, make it profitable and to get to, a, 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 to an interesting uh, customer lifetime value. And that is very different uh, for, for our model because um, here the um, revenue potential from, uh, from one customer is huge uh, and the customer lifetime value is huge. So the, the kind of challenge is that it takes some time to get there. But if you really manage to get the customer for a reasonable price and then to, to make him sticky, uh, then it's super attractive because you have increasing and recurring revenues, and which at the end leads to, to a very attractive um, customer lifetime value. Yeah, absolutely. So, so in other words, your, your um, revenue grows with your assets under management, basically. Yeah. So... Um, that's very interesting. I think, yeah, uh, also good learning. Like if, if the market is big enough um, and plus the user pain point is, is big enough, then of course, you, if you stay only focused on that niche, then, then um, if you spread that out in, on, on a bigger market, then um, that can already provide a good positive business case. So, um, which is not something every neobank has with their current product offering. So it's, um, yeah. Um, that's great. So basically, um, I had just a look at all the questions. Um, I think we went also a bit over time, but it's very interesting to really dive deep into your model and um, get the questions and insights from you. So thanks a lot for that. My last question would be, um, obviously, because I also in preparation for this podcast, there are so many articles that are now basically criti criticizing the current model of pension planning and that really you privately need to do something and not a lot of people have that on top of mind. What needs to happen to make Mantic a success? Like, because on paper or the way you describe it now, it's a no-brainer. Everyone should have that card. What needs to happen to um, to to make it a reality? Yeah, from a, from a company perspective, it's um, the key point is to to really scale because we are addressing the mass market, and uh, so the the nature of addressing the mass market is that you need to have many many customers. Um, to make it an attractive business model and uh, to really find the right channels 
um, that allow us to to um, to scale um, is is one of the key success factors. Um, and on the other hand, it's kind of on the on the on the environment side. It's kind of we we are close to an election in Germany, and uh, pension will be a big topic. And uh, so far, it's a disaster. So, um, as you said, you have to save um, for uh, for your retirement to maintain your standard of living. On the other hand, actually, there is no real framework out there. And the one that is out there, which is called the Restaurante, does not really work anymore. And this is almost consensus. And we need to have a fr framework that allows people to save. And uh, it doesn't need to be super complex. It just needs to be uh, a framework. And then you, providers will come up with interesting solutions that fit certain target groups. And that's what we're currently missing. Honestly, the, there is some hope on, on, the, on the European level because um, the EU has also addressed the topic of, uh, of private pension and introduced uh, what is called the pan-European pension product. And um, this is starting next year in March. And honestly, this is exactly kind of the framework I would have in mind, which offers um, kind of very transparent, easy to use, low cost, secure product, which uh, fits to the mass market. And um, that would be, it's kind of an opportunity also for Germany. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if the saying is also in English, in German, you would say, the, the, the German uh, government gets a solution here on the silver plate, but uh, so far they haven't jumped on it. And uh, I kind of hope for it because it's so important to have also kind of the, the regulatory framework uh, for proper pension product. And um, the beauty of it is, and that gets me back to the first part of your question, Fvantic to scale, it is important to do it on a European level. Uh, and uh, this is exactly so the pan-European pension product allows us to um, to scale on a European level. So let's see what's how this this is developing, but um, I'm quite optimistic and um, there's some stuff in the pipeline um, how we can grow Vantech and yep. even grow beyond the the German home market. Mm -hmm. Super interesting. Thanks a lot for your time, Till. Where can people reach out? Um, obviously, you have your waiting list uh, still open, or by the time we release this, probably uh, people might even get lucky to, to get one of the Vantic cards. Just very easy. Go to www.vantic.com and you find uh, more information. And if um, you want to build on anything that we have discussed about, uh, don't hesitate to contact me any social media very easy um, yeah. and I will um, respond to that I can confirm that yeah. <laughs> interesting discussions and and meet new people yeah amazing so I think there have been a really wealth of insights for um, other fintech entrepreneurs um, obviously uh, packed now into this episode so um, yeah it's a it's a very interesting topic especially like this whole um, private private banking and democratization of private banking and pension planning I think that's a very very interesting field um, where we have seen actually I've seen a lot of use cases in, in the UK and in the US not so much in, in Europe yet um, so I think that's um, it's amazing to have a German German fintech now here that disrupts that um, market a little bit um, from the ground up. So um, yeah, that's an uh, amazing discussion. And um, thanks again, Till, for taking the time. Thank you a lot, Adrian. And thanks for having me. Mm -hmm.